It was precisely 11.41 a.m. It was the 7th of December, and the year was 1988. The earthquake, it was the worst earthquake that Soviet Armenia had ever experienced. And as a result of it, there were 55,000 victims. Susanna Petroisen and her four-year-old daughter, Gayani, were trapped beneath tons of collapsed concrete and steel. They were buried alive, but rescued after eight days. This is their story. Susanna had taken Gayani to her sister-in-law. Her sister-in-law lived in a block of flats, nine stories. She lived on the fifth floor, and she went there to try on a new dress. She was looking at herself in the mirror when the room began to shake. She grabbed her four-year-old daughter, and they made for the exit door when the floor opened up in front of them, and they fell into the gaping hole, and they continued to fall till they came to rest in the basement with the mangled debris of nine stories lying on them. They were protected 18 inches above their noses as they lay flat on their backs in pitch blackness was a concrete pillar, and that saved them. There was an air pocket. In the darkness, Susanna grabbed hold of Guiani and cuddled her close. She felt around her environment and came across a jar. She undid the lid. It was blackcurrant jam. So she began at intervals feeding it to her daughter to keep her alive. Minutes went into hours, hours went into days, days flowed into nights. They lost track of time. Sometimes they would sleep and have nightmares. Sometimes they would go into a deep unconsciousness. They were not aware of anything apart from their nightmarish hell. Into the darkness, a little voice spoke. Mummy, I'm thirsty. The jam had finished. Mummy, I'm thirsty. Susanna didn't know what to do, but into her crazy mind, as clear as anything, came the pictures of a recent television program that she'd watched. Two explorers were in the Arctic, and one of them was dying of thirst, and the other one 
slit his hand and gave him his blood to drink, and he survived. So she took the empty jam jar, and she smashed it and lacerated her left index finger and put it into Gayani's mouth. She sucked her mother's finger. The cry came again, Mummy, I'm thirsty. She does not remember to this day how many cuts she made, how many fingers she used, but she poured her blood into her little girl. Miraculously, after eight days, they lifted the concrete pillar and they rescued them and they were hardly the worse for wear. They had survived their nightmarish hell. It was the blood that had saved them. The preciousness of blood. Every spring, the Jewish nations celebrate a tremendous thing. They call it the Passover. Jesus celebrated this Passover himself. And at this last supper that he had with his disciples, he took the cup of the Passover wine and he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Now every Jew realizes that in that Passover supper, the wine is symbolic of blood that was shed, they remember the old, old story of their forefathers centuries before who had been slaves in Egypt, annexed to the land of Goshen to live. They labored for the Pharaoh, built probably the pyramids. They had a leader in Moses, and Moses had challenged Pharaoh, let my people go, but Pharaoh had refused. God had sent nine plagues, and still Pharaoh refused, so God sent the last one. It was the plague of the death of the firstborn. An angel was to come and was to strike every home, and the person who was the firstborn in that home, that would have been me and mine, was to be slain. But, and with God there's always a but, he said to his children, he said, now listen, if ten of you gather together in a home and you take a lamb without blemish and without spot and you kill it and you sacrifice it, keep the meat and roast it, but I want you to take the blood and I want you to daub it on the doorposts and the lintels of your homes. And when the angel of death sees the blood, he will pass over your home and go where there is no blood. That fateful night the children of Israel shouted in their homes beneath the blood of a lamb. 
And the avenging angel of death even went to the palace. And even Ramesses' son was slain. And the children of Israel were set free. It was the blood that kept death from their homes. It was enough to keep death from their door. It was enough to satisfy God's justice. But that blood daubed on the doorposts and the lintels was not enough to take away their sin. Because you see, God had told them many occasions that the blood of animals could never take away sin. You see, sin is a timeless problem that needs an eternal answer. Sin is a problem that affects you and me today in our modern 21st century, but it has affected our forefathers from right way back. Every one of our families in generations way back have been troubled by the same things, sin. And you know, our children will be, and our grandchildren will be, and our great-grandchildren will be. It is a timeless problem. You see, the Old Testament sacrificial system was a temporary solution, but sin isn't temporary. It needs an eternal solution. Well, there's only one who can bring an eternal solution, and that is our eternal Heavenly Father, Almighty God. And God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And it was on the cross of Calvary that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed. And the Bible clearly teaches us that it's the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanses away our sin. Beneath the rubble of a fallen world, His hands were pierced. In the wreckage of Fallen humanity, his side was ripped open. His children were trapped, so he gives his blood. His possessions are gambled away at his feet. Even his father turns away. His blood was all he had to give, but his blood was all it took. For the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus, on the last day of the feast in Jerusalem, before he went to Calvary, said this, 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. In the darkness, Gayani cries, I'm thirsty. The hand is pierced. The blood is shed. She drinks and is saved. Admission of thirst doesn't come easy to us in this modern, self-sufficient 21st century. Sugary swallows of pleasure temporarily satisfy our cravings. But at some crisis in our world, at some crisis in our life, our world caves in and we're trapped in the rubble of reality, covered by clouds, crushed by heavy burdens. And some would rather die than admit their thirst of Him. And they never cry to Him. And He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to Me. Many in their trouble don't turn. But some of us do, don't we? Some of us have. Some of us have turned to Him in the crisis of our lives. For me, it was in the month of August. It was in 1961. I was in my mid-teens. I'd gone away to a youth camp on the Isle of Man. There in a dormitory on the 13th of August, 1961, I was fighting with other young lads from Liverpool. One young lad from Liverpool didn't get out of his bed to join the fight. And I said, what's the matter? Are you chicken? He said, no. I'm a Christian. <laughs> My dad was a pastor. I knew all about Christianity. I knew if you were a Christian, you should have a testimony. So I said to him, give us your testimony then. And those of us who had been fighting, we sat round as Eric told us how he had come to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior and he hadn't got a Bible. His dad was an alcoholic. His mum was desperately ill. They'd got no money for a Bible. My dad would have bought me ten Bibles if I'd have read them. He went on a newspaper. He went to sell newspapers in order to buy his first Bible. I was terribly convicted by that. On the 14th of August, 61... I stood in the meeting that night, and Morris, 
Heath, paralyzed from the waist down, told us again the old, old story of Jesus and His love and the cross of Calvary. And I thank God again, speak to my heart. And at the end of the meeting, he said, we're going to sing a hymn, but I'm going to ask you to come forward and receive Christ as your Savior tonight. I'd heard it all before. The hymn that they sang, there's a stranger at the door. He's been there off before. Let him in. My heart was pounding. There was a lump in my throat, beads of perspiration on my brow. But I thought, Brian, stick it out, lad. Stick it out, lad. Once we finish this hymn, he'll say a brief prayer, get outside, kick a ball, and the feelings will go. You've done it before. Nobody went forward. Oh, he'll just make a quick prayer, but he didn't. He stood there and he said, I feel God is speaking to somebody tonight. I feel there's a battle on in somebody's life tonight. We're going to sing the hymn again. I turned to my mate Dave. I'm going to go forward. Will you come with me? They called me Charlie Brown in those days. No Charlie. Cliff. Cliff, I'm going to have to go forward. Will you come with me? Charlie, you're on your own, mate. It was ten to nine when I walked forward that night. And I stood by that clock. And I poured out my heart to the Lord. And I told him I was so sorry. And would he take away my sin, please? And in my mind's eye, and I'm not a dreamer, I saw again Calvary, and I felt as it were drops of his blood almost fall on me. And the burden of my heart rolled away, 14th of August, 61. And I went back into the dormitory, and for the first time since a child, I knelt by my bed and I prayed. And one by one, the other lads went. Do you know that week, 60 of us young people got saved? A move of the Spirit of God came in that camp. Many are serving the Lord in different parts of the world. I became the pastor in Liverpool of some of these lads years later. You'd have never have believed it. Oh, some of us have cried to the Lord, haven't we? Have you cried to the Lord? If there's anyone thirsty, let him come to me, says Jesus. If you cried to the Lord, Some of us, as I tell you what, we're a ragged bunch. We're a ragged bunch. We really are. We're bound together by broken dreams and collapsed promises. Fortunes that were never made, families that were never built, promises that were never kept. We were children trapped in the rubble of our failures. And we cried to the Lord.
We're thirsty, not for fame, not for, for possessions, not for passion, not for romance. We've drunk from these pools and we found them to be salt water in a desert. They don't quench, they kill. But we've come to Him, Jesus. And He said this, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's it. Righteousness. That's it. We're thirsty for a clean conscience. We're thirsty for a clean slate, a new beginning, a fresh start. We pray for a hand that will enter the dark cavern of our world and do for us the one thing we can't do for ourselves, make us right with God. Righteousness. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. We're satisfied because His hand was pierced. His side was ripped out, and His children are saved. Rebecca of I Love Nana fame. Long hair, blue eyes. We take her with some of the other grandchildren to the Rushbrook Arms on the Sudbury Road out of Berry. They've converted a barn there. You can get good food there. I'm, I'm not on commission, but they can give good food there. And there's a play area at the far end. And they love the play area. Brightly colored climbing frames and shoots. But you know what Rebecca loves? The pit with all the colored plastic balls in. And you have to take your shoes off. And you know, they go into this and their feet go right through and the balls come up. Now, Rebecca loves pink and purple. So every ball that is pink and every ball that is purple, even if another child is holding it, <laughs> it's mine. And then when her arms are full and she tries to walk through the balls, she falls over on the flat of her back. And I'm standing on the side saying, come on, Rebecca, your dinner's ready. Food's ready. Get up, darling. I can't, Grandad. I said, darling, let the balls go. No, they're mine. <laughs> darling, please, let let go of the balls, and then you'll be able to get up. No, they're mine. I make one of many mistakes. I say to Sam, her older brother, I say, Sam, will you just take the balls off, Rebecca? And he goes, he's got her in a full Nelson. Hair and skin are flying in all directions. Little babies are running in terror to their parents. And I'm saying, they, they're not mine. <laughs> and the owner says, 
take your shoes off, go in and get her. <laughs> Red-faced, I separate them. They're mine, granddad. And I know if I'm not going to have hair and teeth flying in all directions, I've got to have something to give her to make her let go. Cadbury's cream egg does it every time. Rebecca, see what I've got. Oh, thank you, Grandad, a little madam. Thank you, Grandad. And I lift her and take her out to the table. Some of us are flat on our back in a pit. And we're clutching hold of things that are keeping us down. And we can't come to Jesus. And we're holding on to things so tightly. You'd think he'd give up on us, wouldn't you? You'd think he'd be embarrassed by us, wouldn't you? No, no. With nail-pierced hands, and a ripped open side, he comes into the pit, your pit of sin, your personal pit of sadness, your personal pit of failure. And he offers you a clear conscience, peace, a new start, forgiveness, he offers you strength that is not human. He offers you comfort that is divine. He offers you fellowship with the creator of the galactic universes. He offers you a place at his table where his banner over you is love. Will you let go? Will you let go? Even this morning, let it go and come to him who loves you, who never ever wanted to hurt you, will never ever humiliate you, but who loves you with an unconditional, never dying love. There is no one on earth will love you like that. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Here in this lovely church this morning, where the Spirit of God has been pleased to move, He's moving again today. Would you come to Jesus today? In your heart, where you are, in your seat. Come to Him you'll belong to a ragged lot. We've got nothing to shout about, only him. But if you come to him this morning, he will never cast you out. And he'll never, ever, 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 ever let you go. Is there somebody who has come to him but maybe go and walk about 
and you need to come back this morning. Come back, come back, come back. You need to come back to him this morning. You're holding on to things that's keeping you back. Let him go and come to him. Okay? He loves you. He loves you. Let's have a sing, shall we?